baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time to take a look back at the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, and we're going to have a lot of highs and lows to get into this week, most certainly. A major injury for the Braves, just as they were starting to, I think, hit their stride offensively, perhaps. Things were looking up, but now the Braves are going to be without one of their biggest players for the foreseeable future, and that, of course, is Marcel Ozuna. We'll get into that injury, when it occurred, and what the timeline is, and, of course, what the Braves are going to do without one of their biggest hitters from their 2020 club and a guy that they were certainly counting on to get things going and mix it up again in 2021. In addition to that, the Braves were beating up on the Pirates. They split a series against the Boston Red Sox, and they roll into a weekend series with the first-place New York Mets for an NLE showdown. We'll get into all of that on the show, but before we do, I want to remind you you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Appreciate all the ratings and reviews you've been leaving for the show. And if you like what you've been hearing here on From the Diamond, please be sure to tell a friend as well. On Twitter, you can find me at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find the show at From the Diamond underscore on Twitter as well. On Instagram, I'm at Grant McCauley. The show is at From the Diamond with no underscore. And if you want to find every episode of the show, as well as videos and articles and everything else, FromTheDiamond.com is the place to do that. All right, to jump into the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, I want to welcome Corey McCartney back into the show. You can, of course, follow Corey on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. He is the author of Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout, also writes for Talking Chop, and longtime friend of mine, longtime friend of the show, all those good things. Corey, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm great, Grant. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I guess the Braves are kind of having some hit or miss in their schedule of late, but, you know, all things considered, as we'll get into on the show, I guess things could be worse, but this was... Uh, quite a roller coaster ride, I'd say, emotionally, maybe even physically, for the Atlanta Braves as they were beaten up on the Pirates, and all of a sudden uh, they had a really strange trip up to Boston for a couple of games. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly when you pummel the Pirates the way that they did, and obviously a team that is on its own path towards tanking and getting right. in line for one of those fantastic Vanderbilt pitchers, yeah. you wanted to see the Braves take advantage of that momentum in Boston, and at least they, they did that for a game. Charlie mm-hmm. Morton was fantastic, and then you know, the oddity of that Wednesday game that stretched into Thursday morning sets in. And, and I don't think momentum was completely captured, but at least they got out of Boston with a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still very much uh, in play in the in the division and feeling things are in a good place there uh, going into a really big series this weekend against the Mets. But at least momentum was somewhat realized in, in uh, against the Red Sox, just not fully, I guess, when you think about how, you know, a bit of a setback, especially on the mound in that second game. Yeah, it was that, and there was, of course, another setback we're going to get into in just a moment, but really, it was just it was a quick but eventful stay up in Boston, and as you pointed out, certainly, it could have gone worse. You split that series against a team that I think has surprised a lot of people this year in how good they are, and of course, we see what they can do offensively. They're a pretty good club with some pretty dangerous hitters. It's not shocking to split that series. In fact, I think 
worst case scenario, you'll be happy with a split more times than not when you go on the road and face a team like that. But it did come on the heels of doing exactly what the Braves needed to do, and that's win a series convincingly against the Pittsburgh Pirates. They took three out of four there. They were climbing to 500 with that win against the Red Sox in the opener, but the news got a lot less fun from there. Atlanta lost Marcelo Zuna for the next six weeks after he dislocated and fractured two of his fingers on his left hand, sliding into third base. Uh, the club has been through a lot this season, Corey, when it comes to injuries and slow starts and what have you. And I know Ozuna wasn't exactly on a tear, but this one right here, this is a tough blow for the lineup, not just for today, but of course, going forward, you knew Marcelo Zuna sooner than later, just based on his resume, his track record, and what he's shown the Braves in his brief time in Atlanta, that this was a guy that was going to get on a tear at some point. Yeah, I mean, obviously just seven home runs in the season, you know, was hitting uh, collectively 20% below league average. Certainly not the tear that he was on last year and coming off that contract that the Braves gave him. But uh, we know what he means behind Freddie Freeman in that lineup. And you know, you talk about injuries, you talk right. about slow starts. Now he's the culmination of both of those and now potentially up to six weeks here uh, with those finger injuries. I mean, it just looks so nasty, right? Yeah. I mean, you knew yeah, yeah. the second you saw the way his hand hit not that good. foot, it was not good. So it's not necessarily the production. It's what he means in that lineup and the potential of what he means and. As you said, I mean, you knew eventually he was going to pick it up. And, you know, the BABIP was so, I mean, two, 244. I mean, eventually things were going to normalize for a guy that you know has the potential that he has. Um, it's just now you're going to have to wait till potentially after the All-Star break to see that happen. Yeah, you hate to be getting into the season and still be talking about, well, potentially at some point, eventually, yeah. you know, those kind of things are going to happen. But, you know, hitters do hit into some bad luck at times. And I pulled a stat. I went on fan because I wanted to know exactly where the Braves were when it came to batting average on balls put in play, as you just mentioned. I wasn't surprised to see that Austin Riley was way up there, but I was surprised to see that he's number one of the 153 qualified hitters in Major League Baseball with a BABIP of 408 on the year as of Thursday. Now, his Braves teammates, they haven't been having as much fun. Ozzie Albies at 231, ranked 145th. This is out of 153. Freddie Freeman at 235 was 143rd. And Ozuna, like you mentioned, at 244, 134th in the league as far as that's concerned. And Ronald Acuna Jr. at 265, that's not exactly what you want either. It's 120th out of 153 qualified hitters. And Ronald's been having a great year. Now, of course, home runs is not a big part of that. We can get into that discussion some other time on some other show. But be that as it may, when you look at that just in a vacuum, those batting averages on balls put in play would say that the Braves are not exactly the luckiest team outside of Austin Riley, it would appear, in the year 2021. Now that you brought that up, I need to, this sets up an interesting paradigm here. So third base for the Braves is like a platform for ridiculous babies. Remember Chris Johnson... <laughs> set the Braves franchise record a 394 yeah. uh, baby back in the day when he got himself a contract extension. Mm -hmm. So that's in um, trouble, you know, luck seemingly seems to come with that position. But, yeah, I mean, this is just a team that's been, you know, I mean, luck is part of it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, even when you think about Ozuna and how bad it was, I mean, you can get into, like, all the, the, the peripheral stuff, sure, like, sure. The, you know, the average exit velocity, all that stuff, the hard hit rate, all of it was down from a year ago. But ultimately with him, uh, it was just hitting the ball directly to you guys. And Freddie Freeman's BABIP was way down yeah, uh, until rise, uh, recently. Yeah, until recently his was way down too. So luck is a factor. I mean, you literally align yourself defensively to go and play towards the guy's tendencies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that number comes into play in those. Yeah, it certainly does. It's one of the numbers worth looking at. One stat's not going to be able to capture the entirety of the Braves' offense, the highs and the lows and everything in between that they've dealt with this year. But that stat among others, does show me that, hey, the Braves are not exactly hitting them where they ain't. But 
The guy that is doing that, of course, is Austin Riley. I went through a lot of his ranks yesterday. He's routinely around the top 10 to top 15 in Major League Baseball and some of the best stats that you could ask for out of uh, any player as far as productivity is concerned. On-base percentage, OPS, his batting average, his weighted runs created, his slugging percentage, and, of course, home runs. He's in the top 25 there as well as of the games through the end of the Boston series for the Braves, and he's top 10 in all those categories in the National League. So Austin Riley has been a godsend for the Braves, if you want to put it that way. I know we went into this season not to get off on a tangent on Austin Riley, but we were going to get here eventually. When you're thinking about the things that could go right for the Braves this year, I think toward the top of the list was Austin Riley finally starts to cement himself at third base for the Braves and takes that big noticeable step forward. I would say that he has done a lot of that over the first couple months of the season, especially the last six or seven weeks. And if you look at the wins above replacement, all of Major League Baseball, when you're up there toward the top of that list, you're doing a lot of things right. Yeah, I mean, without question. And I think the really key thing with him is you think back to, you know, his first season when he hit 16 home runs before the All-Star break, it ties that uh, rookie record set by Klesko in 94. Yeah. The ISO for him, you know, the, so the, the ability to produce power mm-hmm. was off the chart. I mean, 305, he's been chasing that number ever since. But this year you're seeing him mold ISO. I mean, it, it, it mold power. So he's got a 238 ISO along with those 10 home runs with plate discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a career high 11% walk rate, a 407 on base percentage. So to me, you're seeing, you know, the, the culmination of it. We've often seen the real highs with Austin Riley, and then we've seen him chase him with, you know, with some lows. I mean, we've seen him struggle against the slider. We've seen him struggle against off-speed stuff. I mean, now we're seeing him put it all together. And, you know, as you get into the topic of Azuna, I mean, and this was brought up to Brian Snicker before uh, Wednesday's game. How do you, what do you do? Do you yeah. potentially even think about moving Austin Riley? I think he is in such a good place offensively that you can't mess with anything right now. And I kind of got into this um, this week in my piece for Talking Chop. You think about the way the Braves have put together their talent amid mm-hmm. this version of the team, how rare it is for this franchise to find a first-round position player that hits. Yeah. I mean, in a day since Chipper Jones, it's just rarely happened. And to see Riley do that right now, I mean, this is why you spent that pick on him. Uh, and you're finally seeing – and remember, we how many times was the name Chris Bryant brought up? this offseason and go out and get Chris Bryant, go out and get Chris Bryant. And now you're seeing a guy whose numbers are incredibly comparable uh, to Chris Bryant in a key season for him. Yeah, and not only that, but when you talked about go get Chris Bryant, what was the number one name that people were saying is going the other way in that trade? Well, Austin Riley and get Chris Bryant in here for a year, then figure it out after that. And you could have done that. And I'm not saying that there was no merit to that talk, but I mean, I've heard all kinds of crazy stuff this year. I mean, I had a guy that was just blowing up my mentions in the middle of April just saying that, hey, the Braves need to get rid of Austin Riley, whether or not he wanted him released or demoted. He didn't really say, but long story short, you can only play one-third baseman, and the Braves needed to go get Evan Longoria. I like Evan Longoria, but I also liked Evan Longoria a lot more quite a few years ago when he was with Tampa Bay. We don't need an older, more expensive version of the player you've already got, and the stats over the last five years say that Austin Riley and Evan Longoria, save the name, are about the same player at this stage of their career, and it's arguable going forward where the real value is going to be for me I think it's pretty clear. But if folks want to argue about it online, they're going to do that. Now, putting a pin in that discussion and getting back to something that you were talking about, not messing with Austin Riley right now, I can tell you the number one thing on my list, and this has come across, obviously, a lot of people are bantering back and forth. How do the Braves apply a short-term fix to Marcelo Zuna? Number one on my list of things not to do is move Austin Riley to left field. Where do you fall on that, or is that exactly what you were just saying? Yeah, I mean, I'm totally on board with you there, right? I mean, because – 
what's the reciprocal move? You either, you know, are bouncing with Johan Camargo, uh, you, you Orlando take away, you know, Pablo Sandoval, yeah, and, and Pablo Sandoval has thrived in this role that you've put him in. So I think you don't want to mess with either Riley or Sandoval uh, in that capacity. And, and certainly, you know, you don't have a lot of options on that 40 man. I mean, you mentioned Arcia and, and Camargo. I mean, that's, those are the only two pieces you have uh, on that 40 man. I, you know, we've seen the Braves. I mean, I always go back and, and I don't think, Austin Riley was as bad defensively in left field as Evan Gaddis. But oh, I, also, no, no. I I always kind of go back to you give up something defensively for what you get offensively. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to be in that position. And I certainly think you don't want to shuffle Riley around. And you got a good thing going. Uh, let it ride. And I think you need to find another alternative in left field. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Braves lineup for a minute as we're talking about what do the Braves do on the other side of this Marcelo Zuna injury. Then we'll talk about some of the ways that they could go about addressing left field. But I think the first inclination in Brian Snitker's lineup obviously told us move Ozzie Albies and Austin Riley up to three and four in the order. We know Ronald Acuna Jr. and Freddie Freeman are going to be staying put at one and two, barring something really crazy going on. I don't see that changing at all. Uh, But I might have gone with Riley in the third spot of the order. I think he's hit enough. And really, the only piece you'd be changing out is the right-handed hitting Marcelo Zuna, a slugger that you expect power out of, with the right-hand hitting slugger Austin Riley there and leaving Ozzie Albies in the cleanup spot. I think that's probably the way I would have gone, but I can't fault Brian Snitker for just bumping both of them up a spot, at least to start with, and then kind of seeing how this thing plays out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I totally agree with you there. I mean, I think Riley, just you just bump him up, and I think that's the most effective use of him. Obviously, you know, you've not seen all these, you know, be truly effective, uh, you know, in that position. I, I think it just makes too much sense. Just move that other right hand of bat up and you allow uh, all these to be in, uh, you know, behind him. I think that's the way they need to roll. Yeah, and it kind of would keep the continuity of what they were working with. And Dansby Swanson hitting a little bit helps out because now if you have Dansby batting fifth as he was for so long before they flip-flopped him and Austin Riley, you kind of wondered when that move was going to happen. It finally did. The Ozuna thing, it shakes up a lot of stuff in not great ways, and I think we all know that. It's pretty obvious, and it looks like they're going to have some time to figure out exactly how they want to do their lineup. But if it is Austin Riley batting third, that's great. If he's batting fourth, I think that's fine. But long story short, somebody's going to have to step up and replace that production, and I think that Austin Riley is the number one candidate to do that. One of the things that I pulled up on the off day on Thursday was the Braves have two players in the top 30 in Major League Baseball and wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. The easy guess is Ronald Acuna Jr., because it's pretty obvious. Austin Riley is the other. So those are the two most productive players in terms of wins above replacement. And when you start just looking at the good old-fashioned hitting stats this year, Austin Riley's putting him together a pretty great season here that I think this is a guy you got to roll with, maybe give him more responsibility at a time like this, and that, I think, could really help boost the confidence that already seems to be on the rise this year because he's done the work, he's getting the results, and the team really needs somebody to step into that role and give them that continuity in the third spot of the order that they flat out weren't getting from Marcelo Zuna for one reason or another. Yeah, I mean, and I I think, you know, going off that too, I mean, when you look at all these splits, I mean, he's been more, and certainly we've seen him hit in the second spot and we've seen him, the effective behind Ronald Acuna Jr., but we know that you know, Freddie Freeman, you know, that was the key to the MVP season there was, was him hitting second. Yeah. To me, Albies down in the order just makes so much sense. I mean, you look, when you look at his career splits, he's actually been at his best at sixth. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I don't think that's you know, necessarily what's going to happen here, but mm-hmm. just Riley is a hot bat, and, and he's, he's found a groove, and I think you need to capitalize on that. 
Uh, just give him those opportunities and see if he can handle that spot uh, protecting Freddie Freeman. Yeah, certainly depth is not going to allow for Ozzie Albies to be batting sixth anytime soon. But either way, these are two guys who are going to have to step up. Of course, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Freddie Freeman. It's good to see, I think, Freddie really coming around the last two or three weeks. I think Ronald's going to be just fine. I like him at the top of the order. Certainly don't want to start moving him around to the cleanup spot or making any crazy changes. And I don't think Brian Snitker is going to do anything like that anyway. But trying to deal with all of the fallout from Marcelo Zuna being injured and on the shelf for up to a month and a half, maybe more. We'll find out as this goes along. But six weeks, the initial prognosis that we're hearing, it really sounds like to me the Braves are going to have to go out there and look at trade possibilities. But late May, Corey, is not exactly the time when the best players are going to be available, is it? Because, look, teams haven't made a decision as to whether or not they're going to be a buyer or a seller before we've even gotten to Memorial Day, which is, by the way, just in a couple of days here from when we sit recording this. That's the that's the big problem right now, right? I mean, you think about guys that you potentially could get. I mean, there's tons of names. I mean, Joey Gallo, uh, mm-hmm. Jesse Winkler, you know, Robbie Grossman, David Peralta, you know, Mitch Haniger, which is a name we've heard forever, you know, being oh, yeah. about for the Braves. Anthony Santander, the Orioles. I mean, there's how many teams feel they're completely out of it, though? I mean, we thought a season ago the Reds were going to get to a position where they were sellers. They obviously didn't. They end up making the postseason. And there's just so few teams that, are, that seemingly are completely out of it. I think the Rangers are in a position eight games back where maybe they could do that. You know, the, the Orioles are 14 back. Maybe those are teams you look to, but it's just too early. And I think you're probably going to have to cover a lot of this gap uh, minus Ozuna in house. I just I can't see the Braves being the first team to pull the trigger uh, on making a maneuver to bring somebody in, even though they, they are in a position of being right now to do that. Yeah, this may be one of the most creative deals that Alex Anthopoulos pulls off if he is able to get a premium player to fix this gap for the Braves for the short term. Keeping in mind that you know this is not a season-ending injury for Marcelo Zuna, but it's not one he's going to be walking through that door anytime soon on either. But I don't know that you can sit around and afford to just wait on the trade deadline and not at least go out there and start, you know, making those phone calls and trying to figure out what you can if there is a deal that's going to make sense. I just don't know that that's going to take place at this particular juncture. But, hey, maybe it's in a week or two. Maybe it's at the start of July instead of the end of July. There are teams, Corey, as you laid out, that would make sense to be able to trade a couple of pieces, especially if the Braves were in need and had something that those clubs very much want as they're in the midst of a rebuild. We'll see how that all plays out. I don't know that that will happen immediately. But I'm sure Alex Anthopoulos is going to go through and try to find whatever options he can to help make this club a little bit better. He's just going to have to be, as I said, very creative, I think, in this particular scenario. Now, the short-term fix in the outfield, Guillermo Heredia, Ray Adrianza, of course, could share left field. Ender and Ciarte will play a little bit in center. Uh, then there's Christian Ponche, Corey, who, to be nice about it, seemed a bit overmatched when it came to major league pitching this year. That's the usual suspects, though, as you talked about the guys on the 40-man roster and a name that we hear a lot and have been hearing a lot for years, really ever since he was drafted, is Drew Waters. And there may be some other outfield prospect that you might be really, really excited about. But, Corey, I don't think that there's really an answer down on the farm that you're going to turn to in a time of need like this and put all the pressure on a kid like that to come up and perform. I completely agree. I, mean, I think the aggressive maneuver is to see if he can do it because you've seen Pache come up and, and you know struggle mightily this season at the plate. And I think mm-hmm. you know it, it's an opportunity. But... On the other side of it, I mean, Travis Demerit has the second highest OPS in AAA East right now. He's hit five home runs. We, he's been he's played 61 major league games uh, in the outfield for the Tigers. So, if you're ever going to give a guy an opportunity, this would seem to be the avenue to give a guy an opportunity. And if you're not ready to start Drew Waters' clock, I mean, I, I were you on Snickers' call on Wednesday ahead of the game? 
No, I wasn't ahead of the game. I got to read the comments after. So one of the last questions he was asked was about Ian Anderson and being able to bring up a prospect in the middle of a run at the postseason and what that does to a clubhouse. And you know, just and, and Snicker said, look, you, you bring somebody up that's a notable player like that and everybody's heard about him and they get excited and it just brings an energy to it. I think Waters coming up does that. I mean, obviously, you know, staying in-house or going with Demerit or going with Arcia, anything along those lines. You know, RC has obviously had played infield, but you know, shortstop, you know, seemingly you think a guy, athletic guy can play in the outfield, but it's a different vibe of what you bring uh, with Waters. I just don't know if, if, are they, are they willing to be aggressive enough at this point? Because I think to me, this, where they're at in the standings and the fact that they're two and a half games out mm-hmm. and all this stuff has gone wrong mm-hmm. almost allows them to not be overly aggressive yeah. because you're still within this, despite all the, the bad breaks that have gone. So, I would do it, but I would not be surprised to see this just completely, you know, be more of a vanilla maneuver, and we either see demerit or we see them just kind of roll with uh, the options that we have, and Camargo ends up taking that spot in the roster. Yeah, and that could very well be. And this is not saying that there's not pros to bringing up Drew Waters. I think it would be exciting for all the reasons you mentioned, and I'm glad that they talked about that. But I, I guess I just look at Waters right now, and I think this is a guy that spent all of 2020 at the alternate site. He's got a couple mm-hmm. of three weeks of AAA at-bats under his belt right now. And he's still a guy that there's a lot of swing and miss in that game. And I'm not saying that's going to go away the longer he stays in the minor leagues. That's not accurate at all. It's just I think that they're waiting to see certain developmental boxes get checked for him that you feel like, okay, we are putting him in the best position to succeed. Now, he could come up and get hot and do something similar to what Austin Riley did. Maybe not all the home runs that Austin hit in 2019, but some kind of impactful call-up. But then he could very well go into the deep freeze that Austin Riley had to deal with after the league started to figure him out. And Waters is 22 years old. Christian Pache's already gotten a chance. I think that was built primarily, as we all know, on the premier glove and the, what the Braves felt that they had defensively there and that the moment, obviously, in the postseason wasn't too big for him. It's a judgment call. If they call up Drew Waters, look, that'll be very exciting. I would love to see a young kid get an opportunity. But the Braves are a team that right now, they do have some other options, as you mentioned, vanilla, boring, or otherwise, whatever term we want to put on it, it seems like that's the route that they're going to go rather than throwing Drew Waters from a long layoff of 2020 of not playing competitive games, let's call it that, to, hey, we need you to come in and help kind of save the season or at the very least pull the nose up right now when we've lost a guy who was an MVP candidate in 2020. I just don't know that this is the right place for it, but I don't know that you can make an argument against it. And you can't just be overly cautious all the time. At some point, you got to roll those dice. You got to push those chips in and say, okay, let's just see what we got here. Let's make a run at it. Let's see if this guy is the answer to this. And and the only way to find out is to play him. You know, and, and I, I completely agree. But I, I, the one thing I will say is, I don't know that you want to go from an MVP candidate to a question mark. Sure, but you that's at least already happened. Have it has, but at least you know with certain options that you've you've seen production and you've seen production at the major league level. Yeah. So if you go if you keep it in house, even if it's you know Heredia and Adrianza and you know Camargo out there, you know with Ender and Ciarte mixed in, you at least know okay, well there's a track record. As a, a lightning in a bottle is fantastic, and if the, if Waters comes up and he's lightning in a bottle and then he ends up being this key cog, mm-hmm. then that's fantastic. But I just don't see it happening. And as much as I, I think we'd both love to see it. You know, yeah. we, 
been around Drew many times, and you know, I know, know what that opportunity is going to mean to him. Oh yeah. Um, I just don't. I just don't see it happening right now. I think when you have the question marks you have in your rotation, I don't think you want to provide another question mark or that big of a question mark in your lineup. Yeah, you don't. And I guess if you're going to call him up, you're going to play him. One other caveat that I'll throw onto this because I know you mentioned it earlier, and there's some folks I've talked to about this on on Twitter over the last year or so with the CBA coming up. I don't know that teams are really looking at the do we want to start their clock decision the same anymore because I think a lot of that is going to change in the upcoming CBA. Now, you can only go under the rules that are in place right now, of course. I mean, let's not suppose that everything's just going to work out and the players are going to get everything they want and there's not going to be some back and forth between the two sides. But I don't know if service time and that and that kind of deal is really going to be the number one question the Braves are asking when it comes to Drew Waters. I think this is 100% a developmental question. And I think it's unfortunate that he didn't have 2020 to really go out there and show them in 120, 30, whatever games in the minor leagues, look, these are the strides I've made. These are the steps that I have taken in my development over the past year. And you and I both know how confident Drew Waters is. And we both know how talented he is as well. And and when you said lightning in a bottle, I thought of something kind of interesting about this scenario. This is a very finite amount of time that he's going to have. You know, if we're talking about a six-week timetable. Maybe you just you don't need him to be great for the rest of the season. You just need him to come in right then, and maybe you do catch lightning in a bottle, and you ride that thing out for four, maybe five weeks if it goes really well. And about the time the league might start figuring out Drew Waters, hey, Marcel Ozuna is going out on his rehab assignment, and maybe you just mix and match and plug that hole as best you can in the interim until you get Ozuna back. I mean, what do you think of, of that whole scenario? I mean, obviously it's all a hypothetical situation. So – it makes sense from the end that you don't have the same question marks of him offensively that you had at Pache even going right. into this season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's such an advanced bat, you know, obviously a switch hitter and, you know, able to produce a power from both sides of the plate that you don't, you don't wonder whether or not he can handle himself offensively. And you're just going to give up and, and accept it because you know, the defense is going to be premier. It, this is the exact, he's, not the exact opposites. I mean, he's a fine defensive player, but he doesn't have nearly the, you know, the, the deficiencies that, that Pache has had from an offensive standpoint. So I think there's, there's the, you know, the, certainly the, the prospect of what can he do and what could he give you in the interim until you can make that maneuver. Um, I, I think it would be fascinating for them to, to give him the go there. It's just, I just don't think they want, they, I just can't see them being overly aggressive in that way, uh, given uh, again, the, the questions in the rotation and the, and the fact that you know what you have in certain elements that are already on your roster. I think as much as I would love to see a trade, yeah. uh, I think ultimately, I think if I'm ranking the options, mm-hmm. of what I want to see, I want to see a big swing trade, swing uh, right. massive. <laughs> sure. This is the anthropology. This make your mark. This is the, the big This one. is your this is your Troy Tulowitzki maneuver. This is what you did in in Toronto to put them over the top. This is what you're going to do here in Atlanta in that way. I want to see that more so than I want to see Waters, but I think, you know, I've even got Waters ahead of the in-house. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, yeah. I would say the David Price maneuver was probably the, the best of Anthopolis's over-the-top sure. trades, but you're okay. right. He made a few of them, though. I mean, let's just be honest. It, sometimes that's what a team needs, and when they're playing well enough to be in the hunt, as the Braves most certainly are as we wrap up the month of May, there's no question that a trade could mean a lot to this team, and the sooner the better might be that case. But again, Marcelo Zuna is not gone for the season, but he is going to be gone for a considerable amount of time leading up to after the All-Star break, really the trade deadline, if we want to break it down. That could be around the time he's coming back is 
the all-star breaker after. And, and that's kind of where we're at with this. And one thing to kind of wrap up the discussion of Drew Waters, I wanted to kind of look at his numbers and see exactly where he was in AAA. If you had to take a wild guess, how many games do you think he's actually gotten to play in Gwinnett? And keep in mind, he arrived there in 2019 and lost the entire 2020 season because there was no minor league baseball. I'd say less than 25 to 30. He had played 26 games in 2019. He's got 17 under his belt this year thus far. So we're talking about a guy who hasn't played 45 games in AAA just yet. And while he's had a weighted runs created plus in a couple of stops in the minors up over 140, his AAA weighted runs created plus is down under 100. So there's still some things for him to show, like to put the numbers with it. Strikeout rate still just over 30% in AAA as well. And as I think as Carlos Colazo of Baseball America, a good friend of ours, pointed out, look, if the swing and miss is there in AAA, that's going to be something that you're really going to have to deal with at the major leagues, probably more so. It's going to multiply, I guess is what he's saying. So while there are a lot of pluses to Drew Waters' game, I think that the Braves have to just be realistic about, is this kid ready to come to the major leagues and produce? Austin Riley's bat was screaming, yes, I am ready in 2019. That's why he got that call up. This is more completely out of necessity, if nothing else. One thing I would say, we don't know what happened at the alternate site last year, right? I mean, we don't know what, how much progress did he make in the, in terms of, you know, from a day to day out there, you know, being against the pitchers that he was, he was sure. in camp, he yeah. was there with. I mean, I, I, I talked to Jordan Walker, uh, first round pick from the Cardinals uh, mm-hmm. last season while he was in the alternate site. You know, and he said they very much handled it like it was a game every day. You know, they would go in and have their pregame meeting. They would go through. They would have their breakdown of the pitchers, even though they were their own pitchers. You know, they they would do all that stuff and still go out there and still go through the same rigor. So we don't know what actually was accomplished in that time period because we don't we don't have stats on it. I mean, like they weren't keeping stats no, against themselves. But um, I think it would be interesting to know uh, just from a in in house standpoint, mm-hmm. like from an organizational standpoint, what did they feel like? they saw progression-wise injury during that time period. From the couple of people that I talked to about it, it sounded more like from a pitching standpoint, those guys were really set up to stay on their routines and get all their work in and kind of maintain as best they needed to, unless or until they were called up to the big leagues. And if they weren't, then you just kept working every day. For the hitters, I think that the, the term that I heard that really kind of jumped out to me was, it's a little like Groundhog Day. I mean, there was a lot of the same going on, and there's just something different about hey, I'm going to compete in guys wearing a completely different uniform, and then in three days, a whole new group of guys are going to come in, that whole thing. I think there's something to that. And then, of course, you know, you, me, everybody else, I would love to see those numbers. Just like you said, what do these numbers look like? What did this guy do in these games? You can do that when there's a minor league baseball season. You can't at the alternate site. I'm sure that the Braves and every other club did the best that they could under the circumstances. It just isn't ideal. So before we spend an entire podcast talking about nothing but what Drew Waters may or may not have done last year, and if he is or is not ready, which we could find out at some point this season, and hopefully we do. Hopefully he puts up the numbers that makes it a discussion that the Braves very much have to have and a decision that they need to make. But whether that happens soon, I'm a little bit skeptical, as I guess you are too, to kind of put a bow on that particular part of this discussion. But they are going to have to figure out what are they going to do in left field with Marcelo Zuna out, and the Braves are also going to have to figure out what are we going to do in the lineup, where are we going to get some extra production, because, again, I know Ozuna – was not lighting the world on fire when he got hurt, but that's a big bat with a very good resume and a bat the teams have to be very careful with after Freddie Freeman. And now the Braves are going to have to find somebody else to step in and fill those shoes for a while. And we'll see what Alex Anthopoulos, Brian Snitker, and company are able to do when it comes to making roster moves and, of course, penciling in that lineup every single day as well. So uh, on the pitching side of this thing, Corey, you know, Charlie Morton, as you mentioned, way, way, way up at the top of the start of this podcast, 
He's really started to put some stuff together. Loved what I saw from him in Boston. This is his best start of the year, in my opinion. Stringing a couple of those together. I thought maybe Drew Smiley was starting to turn the corner as well, but he kind of went off the rails in that Boston start when he went back out for the sixth inning. But overall, I mean, you have to love the numbers you've gotten from the Braves rotation for the better part of the month of May. These guys are starting to do the job, and that, I think, is a huge development for the Atlanta Braves. And if it's one that continues, then I think this club's going to be in pretty good shape as they start to round this bullpen into shape and get Shane Green back in the mix. Yeah, I mean, you look at you know the, the past, what, four starts from Morton? I mean, he's got yeah. a one nine six ERA in that span. I mean, he's got 22 Ks to just to six walks. I mean, the, the guy's locked in. I mean, it, it, I think about that Boston start. I mean, it looked like it was going to go off the rails early, right? And then he finds his way through trouble in the first inning and then just goes into cruise control. So, I mean, that was a fantastic outing out of him. I mean, it, but this remains, like, when you think about – Total, you know, fan grass war for your rotation. Yeah. This group's still 22nd. Uh, despite how good they've been this stretch, yeah. they're still the 22nd ranked rotation in baseball. It was rough. Uh, and every, in every fifth day, they've got a question mark. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, I, I, and it, you could say you don't know what you're going to get a smiley. So you essentially have two question marks each time out. But, um, you know, that trio of, Max Fried, Ian Anderson, and Charlie Morton. I mean, you got to feel really great about those three right now, and certainly it puts the Braves in a good position, uh, you know, to 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 be uh, in, in able to to be in a spot to to back up that lineup of theirs, and, and Morton in particular has just been absolutely on fire lately. Yeah, you needed that guy to step up. Is exactly what you paid for him as well. And one of the things that we knew about Charlie Morton last year is he was dealing with some injuries. So as I went through and looked at. You know, where is Charlie Morton in terms of the good old-fashioned velocity? I know what I've been watching. I've felt really good. The velocity has been there all season long. His average fastball velocity of 94.9 miles per hour, according to Fangraphs, that includes his four-seamer and his sinker, by the way, for people who are curious about that. Highest that Charlie Morton's had since the 2018 season with the Houston Astros. His four-seamer is averaging over just over 95 miles per hour this year, and that's up about a mile and a half or more from what it was with Tampa Bay last year. So, that, I think, the stuff is there. We know that the stuff has been there all year for Charlie Morton. It was just kind of avoiding the one big inning where things just kind of seemed to come unraveled. And as you pointed out, when you look at the composite war for the Braves' starting rotation, it wasn't great in the first probably month-plus of the season. It's really started to come into shape over the last three or four weeks. I think you could throw Bryce Wilson in there. And, of course, we'd be remiss not to mention Waskari Noah, but he's not going to be back anytime soon either. So there's not much you can do about that whole deal but the Braves won just two of Charlie Morton's first eight starts. Over the last couple of starts, they've won both of those, and Morton has struck out 17 men against just two walks and 13 innings. That's what you signed up for when you signed Charlie Morton to help front the rotation, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's been fantastic. And certainly you think about the three agent pitchers that Alex Anthopoulos has gone out and signed mm-hmm. you know, in, in his time. And, and obviously, you know, Cole Hamels is going to hang like a, you know, a deuce that contract. Sure. I mean, that was a debacle. I mean, you got some solid stuff out of Dallas Keuchel. You can count Annabelle Sanchez into this mix if you want to, but they got him still late in the game off of a, sure. you know, basically off the track sheet from the yeah. Twins. This has the potential to be the best free agent pitching signing that Anthopoulos has made since he's been the GM of the Braves. And it's shaping up to be that way. You know, they, they brought, I, I was of the mind, you know, you were getting to the point where you had the guys, and if not for Soroka's injury, maybe this doesn't happen, but where you, you could get away from this, right? You could mm-hmm. get away from having to bring in those veteran arms. But, um, you know, Morton has been, has been worth the investment this year. And by the way, he's in for a test on Sunday. You think about strikeouts, Charlie Morton, 
Jacob DeGrom yeah. Sunday. I mean, that's setting itself up to be a lot of fun. I think that will be quite a bit of fun. I know we were talking a few weeks ago about how much fun it's going to be to see the Braves and Mets finally see each other because they didn't for the first, what, month and a half of the season, it felt like. Yeah. And then, you know, the Mets took two out of three, and were it not for Ronald Acuna Jr.'s heroics, it might have been a sweep, which, of course, would be kind of part and parcel because every time the Braves seem to reel off that four or five-game winning streak, I think it's four games right now might be their season high, but either way, they then proceed to lose four out of five or four in a row or whatever it may be. It's been a really crazy up-and-down kind of season for them, but getting this rotation on track, having Charlie Morton going, especially if the Mets are going to have Jacob DeGrom back and can start to get anywhere close to healthy, this is the kind of showdown that you want to see throughout the summer as these are two clubs that are going to be fighting to win the National League East. The Braves looking to make it four in a row. And the Mets looking to reassert themselves at the top of the division for the first time in about six what's six or seven years anyway since they made that World Series run back in the day. But the Braves pitching is going to need to be a big part of that. The rotation in particular, the bullpen we talk about week in and week out here. I think really the thing right now is just being able to clearly define some roles and being able to get Shane Green in the mix is going to be, I think, a big deal. The better the rotation does, I think the better the bullpen is going to do as a result of that. There have been, though, I think over the last, what, week or two, and, and really every manager's got them where you just kind of wonder what exactly was the thinking here behind using this guy and not this guy. I was a little bit befuddled in the second game of the Red Sox series by the choice that was made to send Smiley out there. I kind of get it from an old-school mentality of, well, he'd only given up a couple of hits. Both those hits were home runs, and Drew Smiley's given up a lot of home runs. I don't really know why the Braves weren't leaning on the bullpen a little bit more when it came to game two of that Boston series, but... I also don't know all the ins and outs of what may or may not have been going on as far as availability was concerned. There's always a question, I think, about that. But it just didn't seem like that was the best move for the Braves in that particular game. What was your read on that? Because I know that Smiley had had a couple of good starts in a row, so maybe got some more confidence in him. But the Red Sox are a lineup that's going to punish opposing pitchers the more they see them. At least that's the way it reads to me. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, obviously you're talking about, you know, an additional time through the lineup. You're talking about that lineup and that stadium. I mean, that's, you know, and, and after the game, you know, Brian Snicker said, well, if I would have known, you know, then obviously I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have left him in there. But and, and there are questions about availability. I mean, you know, Chris Martin, you know, seemingly there's concerns. Mark Bowman had brought this up, you know, in a conversation to people he talked to in Texas that you couldn't use him multiple days in a row with his with back issues and things locking up and, Obviously, there's there's issues there, but I mean, you're right. Smiley has been the last few years. He's been given up a ton of home runs, and to put him in that position uh, against that lineup, you know, just just backfired. And uh, yeah. I mean, they're lucky that they didn't get out of there having given up more damage, and that the bullpen was uh, at least as effective enough as it was the rest of the way. And there is that. And when it came to Martin as well, I believe shot number two of his COVID vaccine had him unavailable a little bit earlier in the week. But that aside, I mean. There are going to be those games where things are just, they're going to backfire. It's going to go wrong, and you're going to stick with somebody, and it's not going to work, and you're going to pick up the bullpen phone, and a guy's going to come in. He's not going to have it that night. That's just part of the game. It's part of the 162. But I guess just in that particular game, it was extra frustrating because Smiley had done enough, I think, to that point. And I think for a lot of folks, when you look at it, you're just trying to have him do just enough so that you can then pass that baton off to the bullpen, perhaps more than any of the other Braves starting pitchers. But that was a brutal night anyway because you go through all of that stuff we just laid out with Drew Smiley and getting beaten up by the Red Sox that third time through the order. And then the Braves and Red Sox have to sit around for going on three hours so that they can play in the pouring rain for the rest of the night. I don't know what Major League Baseball was doing there, but that was one of the stranger rain delay situations I've seen when Corey 
really last year and for most of this year, if there's going to be rain and inclement weather and it's over an hour, either games are being postponed or games are being called, and I guess they just decided, hey, we're not going to do that anymore. I don't know what the thinking was there. Two teams with off days on Thursday too, right? Right. I mean, if you wanted to just say, look, the, the Braves aren't coming back to Boston, so there was no reason just – no. Do it the next day. It didn't make a lot of sense to me, but that's just one of those things I think they could have dealt with down the line. I know you don't want to try to find all the off days later on and make an extra trip to Boston. I think the Braves had to do that a while back and crisscross all over the country just to make up one game, and I get and understand that, but I think all things considered, while you would like that crack at it in those last two or three innings, and I know we talk a lot about, hey, don't rule the Braves out when it comes to those kinds of things. I still think waiting three hours to play the last two, two and a half innings of a baseball game is probably not the best use of everybody's time, effort, and energy on that particular night. And as it happened, it didn't really change what the final score was going to be. But that aside, uh, as we move on into what is ahead for the next week for the Braves, coming up this weekend, they're going to be facing the Mets at City Field. As you mentioned, Corey Jacob deGrom is back for New York. They'll see him on Sunday. Then after that, the Braves are going to start a homestand against the Nationals, so another NL East foe. And then they're going to get the Los Angeles Dodgers next weekend at Truist Park as well. So some tough opponents coming up in terms of the, of course, the Mets who are in first place right now and the Dodgers who we know the Braves and Dodgers have a little bit of history and L.A.'s in it every season, it seems like, to be one of the better teams in all of baseball. So that's always a tough task no matter when you catch them. Uh, Nationals have been having a tough time, so you want to beat up on them a little bit in the middle. That kind of goes without saying, but... Atlanta comes into this weekend, Corey, with a chance to not only climb back over 500, but maybe, possibly, potentially, if they sweep this series, to take first place away from the New York Mets. And all things considered, as we talked about earlier on in the show, that's not a terrible place to be as June begins. No, and you know the, the Braves had their three you know big horses in that rotation going this weekend. Ian Anderson and Max Fried will lead into Charlie Morton on Sunday. And think about the pitchers that the Braves are going to have to face coming up. Taiwan Walker's coming back off mm-hmm. the injured list. Um, you've got DeGrom, then you've got to face, and then the National Series, you're lined up to face Strasburg and Lester and Corbin, and then you're going to see Kershaw and Bauer are in line to start two of those games uh, in the Dodgers Series. So runs are going to be hard to come by uh, over these next three series, so um, this could be a big test for this offense. Yeah, Braves' first trip up to New York. They did host the Mets a little while back at Truist Park in the first meeting between these two clubs. Mets took two out of three in that series, save it for the walk-off for Ronald Acuna Jr. in the finale that saved the Braves in that particular game. But as Corey mentioned, Ian Anderson will face Taiwan Walker in Game 1 on Friday. Game 2 is going to be Max Fried against David Peterson, so a couple of lefties will go at it. And then that premier matchup on Sunday night, that's going to be Charlie Morton and Jacob deGrom. Then the Braves will start that series against the Washington Nationals on Monday, Memorial Day, and then the Dodgers come in after that. So it's going to be, I think, an eventful week for the Braves most certainly. And, hey, look, it's going to be another big test for this club as they try to go on without Marcelo Zuna for a long amount of time here. It's going to be a challenge, but the Braves, Corey, have been challenged by a lot of different things this year. Injuries has been kind of high up on the list, but if they could start heating some things up as the weather starts to heat up, I think the Braves have a run in them that should have them hanging in and around the top of the National League East for the majority of the summer until they can fit all the other pieces in place maybe and We'll see what kind of trades might come down the line later on and when Marcelo Zuna is ready to come back. Of course, that'll be a big addition for the Braves down the line. But right now, the Braves are going to be tested quite a bit as we enter what I guess we could start to consider, at least, the dog days of summer. Yeah, and at no point uh, during the last four years, and you think about those three straight division titles, has it felt like the Braves have been challenged more. 
uh, they, at no point has it felt like they've had more uh, obstacles in their way. So certainly, uh, you know, a key stretch against the Manchester some tough pitchers uh, and without one of your biggest bats. Yeah, I guess you could say the dog days of summer coming a little bit early. Typically, you think about that in July going into August, but either way for the Braves, as with most things, it seems like they're getting it exactly when they don't need it. So be that as it may, Braves have a chance as they match up with the first-place Mets to take a big bite out of that New York lead, and perhaps if they're able to sweep this series, grab first place, and have a winning record for the first time this season. That would also be a pretty big accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah, <laughs> it is a team that's been fighting itself almost as much as it has the opponent. So, uh, yeah, big opportunity, though, this weekend. All right. Well, Corey, I appreciate your time as always. I uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. If you want to let everybody know where they can find your work and, of course, a little bit about Tales from the Atlanta Braves dugout. Sure, yeah, you can find my Braves stuff at TalkingChop.com on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. And, yeah, check out Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout, available on Amazon and in Barnes & Noble. Collection of some great stuff, great stories uh, over the years uh, for the Braves and updated amid this era where we've seen Freddie Freeman become an MVP and in this new uh, regime uh, bring in the, the likes of Acuna and all these and set the stage for these uh, division titles that have come. All right. Well, Corey, I still look forward to getting mine autographed in person at some point soon. It's been too long since we've been able to catch up, so I'll make sure to bring my copy with me. All right. I appreciate it. Sounds good. All right. Well, my thanks again to Corey McCartney for joining the show. Make sure you check him out on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. He writes for Talking Chop, and make sure you pick up a copy of Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout. You can find it on Amazon. And as you know, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Keep those ratings and reviews coming. And if you like the show, please be sure to share From the Diamond with a friend. On Twitter, you can find me at Grant McCauley. You can find the show at From the Diamond underscore. You can find Corey at Corey J. McCartney. On Instagram, I'm at Grant McCauley. The show is at From the Diamond with no underscore. And of course, you can find every episode of the show as well as videos and articles at FromTheDiamond.com. So it was quite the week for the Atlanta Braves, and they get set for quite the weekend as well. And you can count on us to talk about everything that happens, the highs, the lows, and everything in between next week on From the Diamond. So until then, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next time. So long, everyone. <laughs>